This message was presented at the GYC to the End in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, welcome. I'm so glad that you chose to be here this morning. I'm going to start with a word of prayer, and then we'll have an outline of what we'll be doing, um, briefly at least, in this seminar. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be here at GYC. Father, we believe that we are coming close to the end of time. Father, we believe that your son is coming soon. The signs are there. All the prophecies have been and are being fulfilled. And Father, we believe that you have raised up an end-time church, a movement, Lord, to bring this work to a close. And so, Father, we would ask that you would not just be here, but that, Father, your presence would be so clearly seen in every single one of these seminars that by the time this conference comes to a close, your Son is all the more closer. Lord, we ask for your Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, thank you so much for being here. I'd like to take you just through a brief outline so you know if you're planning on being um, in all of six sessions exactly um, what you can expect. If you're not, I know some of you are going to jump about, and that's fine. There's some, there are some seminars. I remember the first time that I came to GYC, which was the only other time that I came to GYC, in 2011. Um, I went to a set of presentations. You can... You can this is Clive. Everyone say hello to Clive. Clive is late bringing me my tie. Thank you, Clive. Always good to have people you can count on. Um, no, no, I can't really. Um, so, <clears throat> the, yeah, I remember the first time I came to GYC, you couldn't just come in halfway to the, to the presentation that I was at. It was like you had to be in part one, to understand part two, and you had to be in part two to understand part three, and so on and so forth. Um, I just want to let you know up front that that's not the case with this seminar. I'm not saying that you should go elsewhere after this one. I'm just saying that uh, we'll start and we'll end and we'll move on to something else for the next one. So if there's somewhere else that you want to go, a different seminar that you want to try, and then maybe you're thinking about coming back after, or maybe you're not, um, that's completely fine. We should be able to start and conclude each presentation we should have enough time, although I have said that before. So, um, first up, this presentation is entitled Education, the craziest book Ellen White ever wrote. Um, and I, I truly do believe that. And uh, I'll share with you just why. This will help lay the foundation for the next five seminars. The first one, um, after this, seminar two, is about the man of God in 1 Kings chapter 13. I had a question the first time I read through the Bible, and this was one of the main ones. Why would God kill his own prophet? If you've read 1 Kings chapter 13, there is a man without a name. He's simply known as the man of God, and the Lord takes his life. He sends a lion to slay him. And so we'll be trying to answer that question. Why is it that God killed his own prophet? Our third seminar, <clears throat> beginning tomorrow... Um, is about Adam and Eve. We'll be looking at the question, why did God wait to create Eve? 
Why did he wait? Why is it that she comes after Adam? Why is it they're not made simultaneously together? Is there something in there? After that, we'll look at one of my favorite characters, and that is Job. And I'll give you some homework if you're interested. If you haven't got enough time to fill up at GYC already, uh, read both the prologue and the epilogue of the book of Job. Um, write down all the similarities and all the differences that you can find, and you'll be a little better prepared for seminar four. The fifth one, we'll look at Naaman. And this is definitely one of my favorite character studies, the study of Naaman. What can a Seventh-day Adventist learn from, an he- from a heathen? And that's what we'll be looking at in the fifth seminar. And the last one is on Samson. Samson is he's an interesting guy. And um, we've often looked at the story of Samson as almost like a handbook on what not to do in relationships. And so on the sixth seminar, um, we won't do anything like that. We'll do something completely different. We'll come at Samson from a completely different angle. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But we'll start here with education. The craziest book ever written by Ellen White. How many of you have ever read the book Education? How many of you at least read some of that book? How many of you know it exists? Okay, some of you have read it and you don't know it exists. That, that, okay. Um, Let me just say from the offset, I, how can I find a strong enough word for this? Maybe hate will do it. I hate when I show up to a church, to a presentation, to a seminar, and what I get is some dude at the front that just reads his slides. Just send me the slides and I'll go somewhere else, right? I can read the slides when I go home. I can read. (laughs) I can read. So just send me the slides. So um, I wouldn't dare do that to you. However, disclaimer, um, this, at least the first half of this presentation, might seem a little bit like that. Not too much like that but a little like that, just because I want to share with you a few things that have inspired me to, um, to put this presentation together. So if you think, wow, he likes to read slides, I don't. Uh, it's, it's just a necessity at this present moment. So I'd like to start with this quote. Most of these quotes are from the book of Education, and then we'll go into more practical part um, in about 15 to 20 minutes or so. Look at this quote. The Bible contains what? All the principles. How many of the principles? All the principles that men need to understand in order to be fitted either for this life or for the life to come. I want you to take these in. The Bible contains this book, this book of just a few pages when you consider what it's actually containing, contains all of the principles to fit man for which life? For this life and also for the life to come. The Bible has often kind of been... um, abbreviated into basic instruction before leaving earth. Have you heard of that? B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. But really, this quote says that's only half of the message. This is also basic instruction after leaving earth. But Biale doesn't sound as good, right, as Bible. Um, so this is, this is basic instruction before and after leaving earth. It is to fit us for where we are now and where we are going to be. It contains all of the principles. There's not a single one that you need to know that are not contained in this book. And so I want to share this with you. No one. Who? No one. 
No one with a spirit to appreciate its teaching can read how much? A single passage. Now, like I said, we're not just going to read here. Reading is a little bit boring, even though this is entitled How to Read the Bible. No one with a spirit to appreciate its teaching can read how much? One single passage. Now, let me ask you, do you believe that? When you, when you wake up in the morning, you've still got that nasty stuff in the corner of your eye, and the Spirit's there telling you, open your word. Let's start the day together. And then you open it to Second Chronicles. Right? Or Numbers. Or Leviticus. And you're just like, well, there's not really anything in there. Let me jump over to Genesis. Or let me go to the Gospels, because that's really where the Bible starts, right? No one with a spirit to appreciate its teaching can read a single passage from the Bible without gaining from it what? One helpful thought or some helpful thought. In other words, every time you come to the Scriptures, every single time, you should be able to gain at least one. She says some. She's going plural. At least one helpful thought. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you, have, and be honest, I'm an honest guy, I'll be honest, I'm putting my hand up for this question. How many of you have ever opened the Bible and felt like in that time you did not gain some helpful thought? Right? It's a statement that's qualified with the spirit to appreciate its teaching. Could it be that maybe the reason why we're not gaining what we should be gaining from this book is because we don't actually have a spirit to appreciate its teaching? What is that spirit? No one, again, I love quotes that start with these emphatic statements. No one, which means you're included. No one can search the scriptures in what? The spirit of Christ without being rewarded. How many of you like rewards? Don't lie. How many of you like rewards? Okay, everyone likes rewards. And when we open the Bible, we're told that we should expect to be rewarded. It, it, it's, it's kind of unfair. All we've, all we've done is like, we've just opened, right? We're allowing our eyes to glance. And for some reason, God thinks, you know, I'm going to reward you for that. Every time we open the Scriptures, if we have the Spirit of Christ, we should be rewarded with some helpful thought. She goes on to say, when man is willing to be instructed as a little child, when he submits wholly to God, he will find the truth in his word. If men would be obedient, they would understand the plan of God's government. The Spirit of Christ. Now, I'm going to share a quote with you. Now, when I first read this, I remember exactly where I was and exactly when I was. This was the year 2012. I was at home, and I was reading through messages to young people. How many of you have read messages to young people? And I read this quote, and I kid you not, I have never been able to open this book the same way. Look at what it says. The Spirit, the what? The spirit in which you come to the investigation of the scriptures will determine, don't miss this, the character of the assistant at your side. 
Now, see, this presumes something. That every time you open it, you are promised, you are guaranteed, whether you like it or not, an assistant at your side. Did you all know that you have an assistant? I went to a speaker's lunch and they say, hey, some of the speakers are going to get PhDs. I thought PhD was like what you get after your degree, but apparently it means something else. Um, but, but you have people that go around and help you out. Wherever you're meant to be, they'll take you. Well, guess what? You all have one. You all have your own special assistant. The spirit in which you come to the investigation of the scriptures will determine the character of the assistant at your side. Now, this is, this is a continuation of the quote. She says, Angels from the world of light will be with those who in humility of heart seek for divine guidance. Can you say amen? You are promised an angelic assistant every time you open the word if you come in humility, if in your heart you seek divine guidance. But guess what? Guess, guess if you don't come with that spirit. But if the Bible is open with what? irreverence, with a feeling of self-sufficiency, if the heart is filled with prejudice, Satan is beside you. Now that's, that's kind of strong. Maybe she means demons, but she does say Satan If we come to the Bible with irreverence, with feeling of self-sufficiency of our heart is filled with prejudice, Ellen White says that Satan is beside us. And what is he doing? And he will set the plain statements of God's word in a perverted light. How many of you know people that study the Bible all the time, but the time comes when they just seem to lose it? They come up with the craziest teachings, the strangest things that you, nor your friends, nor your family, nor your church, nor nor all the other people that you know that treasure the Word of God, that can, can actually see. But they've seen it. And you wonder, how on earth have you managed to see that in the Scriptures? It's clear. Because when you approach the Scriptures with self sufficiency, with prejudice in your heart, Satan is by your side, perverting the Word of God. So I want you to think of this each time you approach this book, each time you go to have your morning devotions, each time you open it up in church, each time you take it with you on public transport. Every time it's opened, you have an assistant by your side either angelic or demonic. So let's move on to the practical part here. Listen to this. But the most valuable teaching of the Bible is not to be gained by occasional or disconnected study. Its great system of truth is not so presented to be discerned by the hasty or careless reader. You just have to read Revelation and you know that's true. Many of its treasures lie where? far beneath the surface and can be obtained only by what? Diligent research and continuous effort. This is why often our Bible studies are boring because we put no research and because we put no effort. We expect to just open it 
And like I said, just to be openly rewarded for the mere fact of opening the book. Where she says we actually need to put time. I know that's bad news for some of us. Because some of us don't have a lot of time. But we're not going to get anything out of the scriptures. Even in the mere reading of the scriptures. Even that, that helpful thought that we're promised. Unless, of course, we apply these principles. Now, how many of you here are students? Do we have any students here? Wow, a number. How many of you used to be students? How many of you are students that think maybe you want to be in the used to be students category? Right, yeah, me. In searching out the various parts and studying their relationship, the highest faculties of the human mind are called into intense activity. No one can, enda- can engage in such study without developing what? Mental power. How many of you think you might need a little bit of mental power? Mental power, anyone? Some of you are like, nope, got all of that. That's fine. You know, this is one of the reasons why I think that this book is the craziest book that Ellen White has ever written. I think it's one of the craziest, if not the craziest. Now, do I find the great controversy and desire of ages and the conflict of the ages and the testimonies, you know, wonderful? Absolutely. But I don't think I put them in the category of crazy. I think if I was reading this book, just education by itself, I would look and think whoever wrote this book must be crazy. Because I think if these principles were applied, we wouldn't be here. We just wouldn't. We'd be somewhere far better than this. No one can engage in such study without developing mental power. So this is what she's saying for the students. If you studied your textbooks less and read your Bible more, you would do better in classes. All right, all right, so, so you've got your NCAT coming up, right? You're going to be a doctor. You're going to make a lot. It's important, no? Right? You're going to have a family and sustain the world, you know, and you're going to save all these people's lives and la di da di da di da da And so you're studying like crazy. Every single day you're studying, you're studying, you're studying, you're studying, you're studying, hoping that you're going to get a nice, good score, go to a great medical school and become some world-famous surgeon that's going to die about the age of 80 or 90 anyways. Uh, But that's beside the point. Ellen White says that if you studied for your MCAT a little bit less and read your Bible a little bit more, you'd get a better score. She says when it comes to finals week, this is tough. This is really tough. She says when it comes to finals week, if you didn't, just study like crazy that week and cram. But you studied it a little bit and read your Bible a little bit more, you're probably more likely to get that A that you really need. Now, how many of you believe that? He's, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you can't say you believe it if you're not doing it, right? What's that belief? You know what that belief is? That is an antediluvian belief. Let me explain. The Bible says that Noah preached for 120 years. The whole generation heard it. But when the flood showed up, they had no idea what was happening. All right. 
They knew it was going to happen, but when it actually started to take place, they were like, whoa, rain? So how many of you believe this? How many of you believe that if you studied your textbooks less than you studied your Bible, you'd probably get a better score? Just, just put your hand up in your mind if you believe that. Just in your mind. Now it gets, it gets crazier. It consists also in the, in the effort required to grasp the themes presented. The mind occupied with commonplace matters only becomes dwarfed and enfeebled. As make no mistake, our generation is full of enfeebled and dwarfed minds. The lack of, of ability to think Logically, in fact, take the logically out. The lack of ability to think, just period. As a safeguard against degeneracy and a stimulus to development, nothing can equal the study of God's word. Nothing. As a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective Look at that last part of the sentence. Is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. Okay, let's try that again. <laughs> than any other book or all other books combined. When it comes to developing the intellect, she says that this book is not only better than your textbooks, but it's better than all of your textbooks. And it's better than all of your textbooks put together. How many of you feel convicted that maybe you should have read this a little bit more last semester? Huh? More than all other books combined. When I read that, let me, let me, I'll be honest. I heard it before I read it, and I thought that, that the quote went like this, as a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book. And then, and then the person just added on at the end that they think it's more than all other books combined. So I checked out the quote, and I saw it there, and I was like, oh man, it's true. It's true, all the other books combined. I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know how many books there are in the world. I really don't. But to combine them all, Like to combine every single one of them. We have some intellectual giants in this world. Most of them non-Christian. And they get their knowledge from books. But for intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than all other books combined. Now you can believe it. But if you're going to believe it, you're going to have to do something about it. And so I've got two tips that will help you greatly as you go throughout this seminar, if you do stay with us. Here's the ultimate tip, okay? This, for me, is the thing that completely changed my reading of the Scriptures. It is the ultimate tip. What is it? The ultimate tip. I'm going to put it on the screen, word by word. I'd like you to repeat the words as they come up. Do you think you can do that? This is our first reading exercise. All right, right, wait, 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 let's go back, let's go back. All right, 
So I want, no, no, wait, wait, wait. You guys are very eager this morning. That's good. I want you to read as it comes up, but I want you to increase your voice the larger the words get. Can you do that? Only four of you can do that, but that's fine. You'll car- <laughs> you, can, you can carry the rest of the team. All right. This is the main thing that you have to do when reading the Bible. You have to ask what? You have to ask why. This is the key. This is the key to having a good, solid relationship with the Lord. And this is the key to having a good relationship with the Word. You have to ask why. Why is a principle. What is it? It's a principle. It's not skepticism. It's not skepticism to come to the Bible and to ask why. Now it can be. Depends on the spirit that you approach the scriptures. But to come to the scriptures with a a healthy curiosity is the only way we're really going to learn who God is and what His will is for our life today. It's the only way. I think that we're all born with that curiosity. If you have children, you know it's true, right? They are kings and queens of the curiosity realm. It's as if they had been transported from such a universe where the only word they're allowed to ask whilst there is why. (laughs) Don't touch that. Why? Don't go there. Why? Don't eat that. Why? It's time to go to bed. Why? It's time to wake up. Why? <laughs> but throughout, throughout life, as we, as, as we grow up, specifically in the majority of our educational institutions, the why is pruned out of us. We're taught to stop asking why and to just start accepting truth. And we're told to accept that it's truth based on the fact that it comes from a supposed authority figure. Why is a principle? You have to have a reason. A what? A reason for your faith. Because you know how those conversations often go? And maybe you're guilty of this as a parent. I'm not a parent, so I'm not guilty. (laughs) Not to say that I won't be. I'm going to try and not be. But how does it go? Boom. I was actually going to say something else to set you guys up, but he got it straight away. Don't do that. Why? Because I said so. And you see it in the children's face. They're looking and they're like... Like... Like, their brains are not developed enough to understand logical reasoning. But even at such a young age, they're like, well, what does that mean? Because you said so. So if, I, if you said I could do it, if, I, if you said I could touch the hot surface, then it wouldn't hurt? This whole thing is based on whether you said I could or not. That's your reason? And you know what? That works for children. That's why we do it. It's effective. We just want them to shut up. Right? Because we're on on question 144,000 already. 
And it's just, it's just been one day, it's 9 a.m. And so we think, you know what, just because I said so. But you know what happens? They grow up with because I said so. And then they're put in situations where temptation comes and it's real. And now they need a reason for their faith. Now when temptation comes, they're like, whoa, but I really want to do this. Like, like, like my body is almost urging me to go ahead. And I think I shouldn't do it. I feel like it's wrong. But I don't have a why. I just have a because mom said so. Because dad said so. And when you're in that situation, because I said so doesn't work. If there's no why to motivate your behavior, then you're going to go ahead and do it eventually. Just a little bit of persistence is all it takes. The wrong social group, the wrong peers, the wrong place at the wrong time, and like that. Because you never had a why, you're a different person now. It takes one act. Just ask Adam and Eve when you see them next. One act, everything changes. That same principle applies to the scriptures. When we come to the scriptures, we need to have a why. Because like I said just previously, there are intellectual giants out there that have spent the majority of their lives studying to know why this book is not true. And whilst many of us may find ourselves in these glorious Adventist bubbles, the time comes when GYC ends, we have to go home, we have to go back to the workplace, we have to go back to school, and we're challenged. And we don't know how to think. We don't have a why for anything we believe. And so they say, so, so why do you believe in the Scriptures? Why do you believe the Bible is true? Why do you believe there's only one God and He's your God? And you're there and you're like, well, because I said so. And they're like, well, who on earth are you? Who on earth are you to say so? Because they've heard it from such and such and such and such and such and such. And thousands, if not millions of people believe them. Who believes you? Because I said so doesn't cut it in the real world. And because I said so doesn't cut it in the word of God either. Now some of you may have a relationship with God. We say, well, it's in the word, so I do it. And that's okay. That's, that's safe, I guess. What kind of relationship is that? I'm a married man. Amen? Don't worry, I was saying it for myself, it's fine. Now there's sometimes when my wife gives me things to do. Okay, there's a lot of times when my wife gives me, I, I thought she'd have learned by now. Um, with, you know, I, I have a terrible memory, oftentimes they just don't get done. But I'm trying, pray for me. No, seriously. You guys are, no, no, for real. Like, really? <laughs> um, now, now if, if, let's say, I go throughout the whole day and I get the few things done that she's asked me to do, and she comes home, she's like, oh, babe, I'm so happy that you did all those things. Why, why did you feel like doing it today? And I'm like, well, because you said so. That just kills everything. The whole mood is gone. You know, now I have to go and wash the dishes or something <laughs> to, like, make up for my ridiculous answer. Because I said so, in terms of a relationship, doesn't work. 
Why did you do this? Because I felt like this. Because I, because I love you so much. Because of this and this and this and this. I need reasons. Because I said so doesn't cut it. I need a why. And here's another tip. I call it the other ultimate tip. Read it with me. It, it's a different slide. Let's try again. Question everything. Now, again, this sounds like skepticism, maybe. Question everything. Yes. Question everything there is to question. You have to come to the Scriptures, not with a mind of doubt, but with curiosity. You have to be asking, okay, the Bible says that this is true. Have I seen it? Can I prove it within the Bible that it's true? There's some crazy stories in here. I'm not saying you should doubt whether or not they're real. But I'm saying you should come to them and say, okay, why? Why? Why, when God designed the world and when he sent the flood, did he orchestrate such things knowing that when the Egyptians and the Israelites left Exodus and headed in the direction, left Egypt on the Exodus and headed in the direction they were always going to head, why did there have to be a sea there? Why? Couldn't God have orchestrated it so that there was just like a hill with some dangerous rocks and they could have just walked down and the rocks could have just dropped and blocked everyone from going through? Now that may seem ridiculous, but it gets you thinking. It gets you thinking. It gets the mind working. It gets, it gets the cogs, the rusty cogs that haven't turned in a long time. It gets them moving. It adds a little bit of oil. Encourage questions. Do this with your children as well. I know it's going to take time. I know you've got a short temper. I know that I don't have kids, so you're just saying, oh, you don't really know. But encourage questions. Encourage questions. I've seen too many times in my own church back home in the UK when young people come and they say, I don't understand this. Why would God do this? And then someone gives a ridiculous answer like, because he's God. Because he's God. When does God ever say that? Do it. Why? Because I said so. But at the same time, he says, come, let us reason. All right, God, I've come to reason. What's the reason? Because I said so. It's kind of anticlimactic, no? (laughs) There has to be a reason. I believe that. There's a reason for everything that God does, everything that he has done, and everything that he will do. There's a reason. Now, will we know every reason? Can we search the infinite mind and know all things? Of course not. But we can know some things. How many of you would at least settle to know some things? Right? Some of you are like, no, I need to know all things. <laughs> Wrong seminar. I don't know if there's one that does that, though. Here's something practical as we begin our first exercise. Notice the flags. The what? The flags. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that how much scripture? Does anyone know? All scripture is given as what? Ooh. All right, let's just read it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. All scripture. How much? All scripture. I think the genealogies are included. I don't know. 
I think they're included. I think Numbers and Chronicles and Leviticus, I think it's included as well. I just have a hunch. Here's one thing that I believe completely. Nothing in the Bible is merely information. What did I say? Nothing in the Bible is merely information. Now, I know some of you will be like, boom, what about this text? Boom, what about this text? Stop doing that. We don't have time for that today. You can do that when you go home. I want you, we're going we're to practice this. To open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Now, we're going to read a passage in Mark chapter 4, and I want you to notice the flags. Now, what is a flag, you might ask? Okay. A flag is something that might look like just mere information. A flag is something that maybe just doesn't make sense, that looks like it's, it's out of place, that looks like it should have been said before or should have been said after. We'll see this especially when we come to the story of Adam and Eve. But I want you to notice or highlight, maybe not, maybe not you know, physically highlight, but if you have a notebook, then just write, okay, verse 30-something, draw a little flag next to it. I think this is a flag. And I'll explain more about what flags are as we go through. If you're reading something, you know, maybe this is information. This looks out of place. This is strange. I don't understand it. If you have questions about that verse, just say, okay, I'm, I'm, making, I'm making a mental flag. Are you guys ready? I want you to read Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that, and then we're going to do it together again. This is Mark 4:35 to 41. Make sure you're reading the right passage. you're not done yet, just say, wait. If you think they should hurry up, I'm joking, I don't. Right, so that's Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. In this story, which I'm sure you've all read many, many times before, this is why I chose it, as Jesus calming the sea. Did you all read the right passage? Have you read something else, like the transfiguration by accident? No? Okay, good. So Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. Let's read it together. It says, And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us what? Pass over unto the other side. The other side of what? The other side of the lake or the other side of whatever you would call that particular body of water. 
And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. Who's the he? Jesus. Who's the they? The disciples. Okay. So what had just happened prior to this, and um, Ellen White brings this out in Desire of Ages, she said Jesus had just spent the entire day preaching, teaching, and healing, and he had done so with no rest and with no food or water. Now, I'm nearly through my second bottle, and I'm almost sure I'm going to lose my voice by 11 today, a.m. Jesus was preaching, teaching, and healing for the entire day without refreshment. And so it comes to the end of the day, and they're like, okay, we're done. We're going over to the other side. So they get him into the ship. Uh, let's, just, let's just read from the top again. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. Verse 37. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, carest not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, how many of you think that in that passage, in those seven verses, you saw a few flags. Anyone see some flags? Okay, let me know. Which flags did you see? Let's just hands nice and high if you're, if you're willing to give an answer. Yes, you sir in the middle. Jesus was, was with them. Did you say with? Right, they were still fearful even though Jesus was with them. That's good. Anyone else? Yes, right at the front. Why was Jesus sleeping? Okay, why was Jesus sleeping? That's a good one. If you don't know the context, if you don't know that he's been working all day, then that, that would be a good question. Why suddenly in the boat has he decided to go to the sleep and leave everyone else awake? Yes. Okay, it mentions specifically that he was asleep on a pillow. Other versions just translate that into asleep on a log or something that sounds rather uncomfortable. I think the King James is being kind here. Okay, in the stern or in like the lower parts of the boat. Okay, it's good that we're noticing these things. Anything else? I'm looking for flags, things where you're like, well, that doesn't really make sense. Why is that being mentioned? We'll go here. Okay, there's other little ships with him. How many of you picked up on that? There's other, oh, you all picked up on that, huh? Yeah, right, yeah, okay, yeah, me too. First time. Um, hand at the back over here. You gonna say the same thing? Anyone else? Yes. Okay, how can they not know who Jesus is? Have they not? Oh, gosh. Do you ever find that the disciples just work you up sometimes? And then the moment you get worked up, you're like, ooh, but that's like me. And then you just calm down. You just humble yourself. Yes. Okay, good, good question. Another one behind you? Sorry? Right, right, he's already asleep, and he probably knows that this storm is coming. All right, so you guys picked up on a few of the flags. There's, there's some that I really want to highlight. One of them was already mentioned. This looks like just information. 
Let's read the verse again. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And you read that and you're just like, yeah, cool. It's as if, and we think this subconsciously, I think, that the Bible, we know that the Spirit wants us to use our imagination. And so we sit down and we start to read and we're like, oh, I get it. It wants me to picture it. Right, Jesus is in the ship. And, and to complete my picture, over there somewhere, there's, there's some little ships, right? And the sun is setting on the horizon. I can almost paint it now if I wanted to, right? Because now I know there's other little ships, right? That's what the Bible wanted me to do. I don't know. If you're an artist, that's fine. They were there. But I don't know if that's it. So for me, that's a flag, right? Does that make sense? The best way that I can explain the flags is to actually just show you. And here's another one that, that, that none of you mentioned, and that's fine. That's fine. Verse 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. What's the flag here? Anyone know? Can I get a hand? Yep. Uh, peace be still. Sorry? Okay, peace be still is close. Okay, he rebukes the wind, but then he speaks to the, to the sea. I heard something here. He's talking to inanimate. He's talking to inanimate objects. How many of you are guilty of this sometimes? <laughs> All right, so you're more like Jesus than you thought. Jesus rebukes the wind. Now, how many of you ever got up late at night and you needed to use the restroom? Anyone? So I'm going to get too personal, just, just asking that. Right? You need to choose a restroom and you get up. And especially, again, if you're married or you're house sharing, there's one thing that you don't do at 3 a.m. Anyone know what it is? You don't turn on the lights. Right? That is your quickest way to becoming homeless. <laughs> or worse. Right? And there's a worse. It's called death. Um, so, so you wake up and you're like, all right, I recognize the feelings. I'm getting the messages that my body is sending me. I'm going to head to the restroom. And if you've lived in your house for more than two days, then your body, your body already has a mental map of the house, okay? Now, I recently moved house about two months ago, and I kid you not, in the 27 years that I have walked this foul planet, I have maybe needed to wake up to use the restroom in the middle of the night about three times. I'm very blessed. One of those times was about two months ago. I woke up, and I was like, okay, don't turn on the light, Dean. Don't turn on the light. Got out of bed, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I know where to go. Now, here's the joke. In the new place that I moved into, I sleep, let's say that this is my bed. I'm on this side of the bed, and we actually have a bathroom in our bedroom, like a little ensuite one. It's very small. Don't, don't, get, don't get jealous. It's very small. <laughs> and so literally, once I get out of the bed, the door, I could reach it. And I could just open the door and literally go in with one step. That's how close it is. Bed, just bear that in mind. So I get out of bed. I'm like, okay, I need to go to the bathroom. The door's over there. New house. I just, the only thing I'm thinking is I have another bathroom. Like a proper bathroom, like with a bath in a room, right? We call it the bathroom in England. It's a bathroom. Um, so, so I'm like, I'm going to go there. So I'm starting to walk. And then I get to the door. I'm like, oh, here's the door, just where it was last night. Open the door, come out, 
I walk out, I know to step over my cat. Both of them sleep right by the door until we wake up. So I step over the cat, and I go to walk into the, into the bathroom. I, I open the door, I turn left, and I walk in and immediately bump my head because I've actually walked into the closet. <laughs> I skipped the bathroom door and I walked into the closet. And my first reaction was, ah, oh, stupid closet. <laughs> what did the closet do? It's just a closet. It couldn't do anything else but just be there. Are you with me? I, I, in a sense, rebuked with perhaps the wrong word, the closet. When the closet was just, it's just, a, it's an inanimate object, right? We don't walk around every time, you know, walking, I kick the table and then I rebuke the table. You know, in the name of Jesus table, I rebuke you from this place. Can you imagine seeing someone do that at GYC immediately, immediately? We've got this place um, in Weimar. It's a nice health center. We can, we can hook you up, get you some professional help, because that's not something that normal people do. Are you with me? So why is Jesus doing it? Because you're not normal? Okay, that's fun. This is the flag. Are you with me? Right, let's put this story together now. There's two flags that we've got. One, that there's other little ships randomly there. And second, that Jesus is walking around just throwing rebukes at, at inanimate objects. All right, like the wind and the sea and so on and so forth. All right, context now. Jesus has just spent the entire day, what? Preaching, teaching, and healing. And so then, if you look back at the beginning of the story, it says... And the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, what? Let us go to the other side. Does anyone know what's on the other side? Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gardarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately they met him of the tombs, a man with a what? An unclean spirit. Long story short, when Jesus meets these spirits, this is one of my favorite passages in the scripture, he rebukes the demons out of them, and now they go back to their people and spread the gospel. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, now that we're done here, we're going to go over to the other side. Why? Because there's people over there, non-Jews. Right? Gentiles that need to hear the gospel. That's the motivation for going to the other side, all right? To spread what? To spread the gospel. We read on. It says, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. Now, how many of you are sailors? That's what I thought. Kind of. Okay, we've got one. You're like a say. Like almost a sailor. Okay, you know how to sail. All right, so you're a sailor. All right, you're a sailor. We've got one sailor in the See, we don't, we don't often leaflet sailors and just give them GYC pamphlets. We should. It says that there were other ships with him. You see, when you're a sailor, your whole livelihood depends on how well you can predict the next day's weather conditions. Are you with me? Sailors don't go out to fish in storms. Now you have to come, you're not going to think of this unless you look and say, why? 
Why is it mentioning that there were other little ships? The sailors' livelihood demands that they can predict the next day's weather. So if there are ships out there ready to set sail, what does that tell you? That the weather that night and the next day is going to be good enough for them to sail without getting in a troubled situation. Was the weather good? No. So all the sailors collectively managed to get it wrong on the same night? Hmm. The other ships there let us know that this storm was not a natural storm. Now what's the second flag? Well, the second flag as we read is that Jesus is running around rebuking things. And not people. He does that later though. But here, he rebukes the wind and the sea. Now the Greek word that Mark uses here is epitimao. And when you look through the Gospel of Mark, it is only ever used exclusively to rebuke demonic forces. Only. Every single time it's used, it's used again in Mark chapter 5 to rebuke the demons. It's only ever used to combat demonic forces. Yes? Right. It is, it is, it is, it is dangering them. But a normal storm could danger you, right? If you're out sailing and a, and a nor, like a natural, non-demonic storm comes, you could be in danger. But Jesus doesn't just say this is dangerous. He says this is spiritual. He uses the Greek word that you would only ever use to rebuke a demonic force. And those two flags Give us the rest of the picture. They help us through this reading experience. One, the sailors who could predict the weather did not predict that this was on the way. And when they were out there, Jesus did not see it as a normal storm. He rebukes the wind. Why would Satan send a demonic storm to them on this night? Any ideas? To keep them from the work that is due on the other side. The clue was right there in the first. Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. There is work to do. Notice that when Jesus is in Mark chapter 4, preaching, teaching, and healing, there's very little opposition. There's very little opposition to preaching the word to people that know it. But the moment Jesus is like, all right, let's go and take this to those that don't, things start happening. That's when the devil gets involved. Now, I want you to notice Jesus' reaction now. Jesus recognizes that this storm is demonic. Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, When I read that, I was like, ooh, that's a little bit deep. I mean, these guys were going to die. They were fearing for their life. And now we know that it wasn't just any old storm. It was a satanic, demonic storm. Jesus said, you had no faith. So you tell me, 
Did Jesus want to be woken up? Did Jesus want to be woken up? Do you think if Jesus wanted to be awake, he would have went to sleep? Do you think if Jesus wanted to be woken up, that he would go to them when they wake him up and rebuke them for waking him up? Why did you wake me up? You have no faith. So what is the implication then? What is Jesus saying they should have done? He's saying to the disciples, you should have done this. You should have rebuked the wind. Now you see, that, that, whoa. That's a little bit uncomfortable. Right? Because all we've ever been taught to do is, when something happens, just go get Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hold on. I already gave you what you need. You see, there is a difference, a big difference between depending on Jesus and just letting Jesus do it. Jesus asks that we would be completely dependent on Him, that we would trust that His power is in our lives. But that doesn't mean that you and I can just sit down and wait for Him to make things happen. He says, you should have left me asleep. I'm tired. I've been working for the whole day. You guys have been standing around watching. I wanted just a little sleep before I get up and do the whole thing again. Two hours. You could have done it. You could have rebuked the storm. Now take this story. This is key. Bible study, reading the Bible, everything is just dead in the water if you don't do this part. If you don't read this story and put yourself right in the middle. How many times has there been situations in your life where there has been demonic attacks, where Satan has come to sift you as wheat and you've stood there helpless. Like, well, I just need to wait for Jesus to sort it out. Just can't do anything, just get my bucket. Jesus says, uh-uh. I've given you power. Power! So much so that I said, you can do even greater things than I did. You should have rebuked the wind. You should have stood face to face with this demonic storm and you should have calmed it. You should have said, peace be still. You should have raised your hand. You should have said, epitomal. Mark chapter 5. Let's read about ourselves a little bit more. When he was come out of the ship, verse 2, immediately they made him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And Jesus says, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Where's the disciples now? I'll tell you where they are. Read Desire of Ages. They ran. When they saw the demons running to Jesus, they legged it. They were gone. There's not even a mention 
They ran so fast, they're not even mentioned. Jesus gives them an experience on the boat and says, you could have dealt with this. And then he takes them somewhere where they could have dealt with it. And they're gone again. Don't you feel a little bit like a disciple sometimes? Jesus rebukes the demon. In fact, we read that there's actually two demons. He rebukes them, sends them away into the swine, and they all commit pig suicide off the edge of the cliff. It's a great way to end the story. But that story is relegated to a children's story if we're not asking why. If we just think there's other little, bi- other little boats there just to paint the picture for us, that Jesus just sometimes has, has these little, little moments of insanity where he just goes around rebuking things for no real reason, then we relegate the Bible to mere children's stories where we think we can just speak to people with undeveloped brains and leave with them smiling and someone will pray at the end of the story. The Bible is more than that. It's so much more. Contained within this books, within these books, and this book as a whole, is the power to keep your mind from degenerating and to develop you into a spiritual and intellectual giant more than all other textbooks combined. For the next few seminars, we're going to look more in-depth to the particular stories that I talked about at the beginning. The man of God, Samson, Naaman, Adam and Eve. And next up the prophet that God himself killed. So I hope, if this is the only time that you're here, that you've learned something, that you've learned about these flags and you've learned how to read the Bible just a little bit differently. There's a question here. What about the pillow? The pillow. That's a good question. That's a good question. That's my answer. That's a good question. Study it out. Go and read it. See if you find anything interesting there. But I know one thing. Every time we open this book, there's some helpful thought available. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll pick up next if you choose to come back. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this inspired word. Help us, Lord, to come to it with the Spirit of Christ. Father, we know that we will be attended by an assistant every time we open this book. Father, we want it only to be heavenly angels. So teach us, Lord, and help us how to come to your word with that spirit. That, Father, we may read it, a single passage even, and gain some helpful thought. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.